Good morning. Again, just a reminder uh, that if you have a question from this message that stirs in your heart, go ahead and text that in, 847-665-1775. We'll be happy to distill one to two of them at the end of uh, the message and give real answers in live time. Uh, But it's always good when you're nice, though, too, remember. (laughs) So again, I want to go back to our theme verse for this new series from 1 Peter 3.15. Uh, Would you get your bifocals out or your field goggles if you're ready for opening football weekend here? Uh, And uh, go ahead and say this together with me. Uh, In your hearts, revere Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and respect. Just want to break this down really quickly. It all starts there, doesn't it? It's all about Jesus Christ all of the time. And then what flows from Jesus Christ as Lord in our hearts and our lives is this verse that we can very nicely break down. Look at the rest now. From there, always be prepared. That's the when. That is the where. It's about having an attitude of eagerness and readiness Uh, to then, as it says in the next one, give an answer. Uh, And that's the what we are to do, give an answer. The Greek word there is one, and it's apologion. It's where we get our word apologetics from. It means to defend. Always be ready to give a defense for what we believe and why we believe it. And then we get the who, to everyone who asks you. Uh, to every single man, woman, child, regardless of anything. So without discrimination. And then he tells us why. So that we can give them a reason for the the hope that is down here. That Jesus Christ is risen and he is reigning and he is returning. And we have been born again by his grace into his kingdom And that hope is always on fire inside. And then he tells us how to give that reason for the hope in here. And that is with gentleness and respect. That our Bible, our credo, what we believe, it's not a two by four. It's not a club to go beat people on the head with. What would be the point of winning a conversation about faith or the Bible if at the same time we lose that soul. So it's how, not just the matter, the what, but the manner that we do it with gentleness and respect. And so from this verse, as we prepare to always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us about our credo, we're going to look at these five core beliefs, fundamental beliefs, these next five Sundays. And what I like about these is it gives us room to just stop and ask questions and to reflect, what do I believe? And why do I believe that? Is it more than just, well, that's what I was taught in Sunday school? That's what the Bible says? Why do we believe that? And how can we prepare with these foundational beliefs to be ready to give an answer, to have a conversation with someone, to help lead them into it with gentleness and 
respect. So this morning as we start, I want to take you on a virtual journey. We're going to Honduras, and this is the Chaluteca Bridge. And it might look a little funny because it kind of is, but actually this was completed back in 1998. And in its day, this was considered a mar modern marvel of engineering. It was especially built to withstand the fiercest storms that weather could dish. And boy, did it get tested. The same year it was finished in 1998, Hurricane Mitch came through and just battered the whole region and infrastructure. And you can see the damage that it did. Not only did it wash away both sides of this bridge, which is bigger than it looks. It's three-tenths of a mile long, over 1,500 feet. But it also did what? What looks funny about it? The hurricane changed the flow of the entire river. And that's not a small creek. That's several hundred feet wide. And now it doesn't even go under the bridge. So now what was once this modern marvel of engineering is called literally a bridge to nowhere. As we think about the kind of seismic force that completely changed what had been done. In the same way, in just the past 15 years in this world, but especially even in this nation, a seismic shift has taken place. And this seismic shift is so big, it has happened so quickly that many people don't even realize the river used to be under the bridge. In fact, I would contend that the younger your generation is, the more likely you are to not just think the river has always been there where it is, but you don't even ever remember it being under the bridge. You see, so it's not just you, but it is every single generation after you now that is going to be at greater and greater risk for getting swept in the tide of this river. Your nieces, your nephews, your cousins, your students, your employers, your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren are all at big risk. And here's the thing. Well, that river is there right now, tomorrow that river could just as easily there or there or even way off over there. And so what's behind this seismic shift and how bad is it? I think by and large that we can state this in just one word, that this is really due to the tide, the rising tide of relativism. And so what is relativism? Oxford Dictionary defines it as, well, knowledge, truth, and morality are not absolute, 
but they exist in relation to culture, history, or society. Meaning what? Meaning relativism would say that no belief is superior. No belief is more right than another, that all beliefs fundamentally are equal. Relativism would also say that truth is really dependent, it's relative to time, place, and persons. So now you'll hear phrases like, well, this is true for now. But tomorrow could be something completely different. And ultimately, relativism says that I determine truth for me. And listen carefully to whatever media intake you are hearing or conversations you are in and see if you don't hear more of these phrases now. My truth, your truth, his truth, her truth, truth for me. Because truth is now made and individualized, truth is not universal and found. And so, just how concerning is this major shift in society today? George Barna does a lot of research with beliefs and trends in, in the world, in the nation, and in the church. And, and just recently, less five years ago, uh, he asked adult Americans, do you agree that identifying moral truth is up to each individual and that there are no moral absolutes that apply to everyone all the time? And so imagine you go to Super Target over on East Rand Road and you're, you're just casually having conversations as shoppers are going in and out and you ask the shoppers, hey, do you think that moral truth is up to each individual and that there is no moral absolute that applies to everyone all the time? How many adults out of 10 do you think would agree with that statement? Six in 10 American adults now. That's a majority of this nation that just believes that truth is now something I determine and what is right for me. That has now become the greatest good in this land is living by what is right for me. And it's just this individualism and self-autonomy on steroids. And you know what's even more concerning and dangerous than that? That this tide of relativism is making significant headway in the Christian church at the same time. Just last year, Arizona Christian University did a large study on worldview. And what do you think would go in this blank? People who attend evangelical churches, they believe in Jesus Christ and in the Bible. How many would say that moral truth is dictated by the individual? Culture was about 6 and 10 today. What do you think that number is in the church? 
Nearly one in every two professing Christians now, we're told, believe that truth is something I decide and make up for me. As we think about that, this means that there are millions of people, not just in this nation, but even in our churches, who are following their feelings. That they are following their feelings as they date, with marriage, with spending, with the media, with the influencers they follow, with their identity. And an inherent danger is that our feelings become convictions. And let me just ask you, do you remember a time when you followed your feelings and that situation, that weekend, that relationship ran amok? That it was just a mess. Deep down, you knew better, but man, did it feel good, and man, did it feel right in that moment. I remember when I was young, 8, 9, 10 years old, my grandfather had a farm, small farm in southern Michigan, and one of the things that I enjoyed doing was going to grandpa's and riding the tractors, and he had a small riding mower uh, for his yard, and then he also had a larger tractor that was dated all the way back to his farming uh, years. And, and the, the thing that was unique about the little gardening tractor uh, is today's tractors have a clutch and a brake that are the same pedal. His had a clutch and a brake separately. And so that was tricky. And Grandpa's house was on a pretty nice hill. And I had just watched my older brother take the little riding mower up the hill and around and down. And so what do you think I wanted to do? But Grandpa told me, don't go up the hill. And I was, I was in that moment, though, man, did it feel good. It felt like I was in control. It sure felt like it was the right thing, and I could do it too. And so I started to go up the hill. And Grandpa had looked up and noticed. It was like, stop. I said, don't go up the hill. And so I panicked and I pushed my foot all the way to the floor. And guess which pedal went in? The clutch. What happens on a hill when the clutch is in? Gravity takes over. And immediately... It just started to roll down that hill backwards, faster and faster and faster, down the yard, across his gravel driveway, smack dab into his brand new burgundy 1982 Oldsmobile Delta 88 land boat. <laughs> and this car was so big, it went from like zero to 60 feet deep in about three seconds. <laughs> Not good on water, right? But the metal was like that thick back then, and it put a dent about that deep in the front of his car. And talk about feeling this terrible wave of disappointment. Not only did I just let down my grandpa, my parents would find out about that too, and I let down myself because I knew better. 
I knew he told me not to because it was in my best interest and health and safety, and he just proved it. But man, did it feel like the right thing in that moment for me. You see, that's one of the reasons why relativism cannot work and why relativism cannot stand on itself. Should we really be following our feelings as a guide in life? Can you imagine what your life might be like now if your track just went from feeling to feeling to feeling to feeling? And that was your plan, that was your course? We saw where mine went in just a few minutes as a young boy. Did thousand dollars of damage. Imagine a lifestyle of that, just feeling to feeling, but it sure feels right, and it sure feels good, and then on to the next feeling, because they change like tomorrow, the weather. Reminds me of something Solomon, one of the wisest people on earth other than Jesus, said in Proverbs 14. He said, there is a way that seems right to man. It feels good. It feels right. But in the end, where does it lead? It leads to death. And relativism can't stand. In the time that God gives you here on this earth, and we all kind of sense even more so today how fragile life is and can change like that. In the time that you are given here, do you want to live a life filled with meaning? and significance, and virtue, and success? Do you want your children, and grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, and, and your neighborhood friends, and your students, and your employees to do the same thing? How could you ever know if you've lived a meaningful and virtuous life with relativism? You can't. Because there is no set guide. It's whatever is right for you in the moment. And last but by no means the least, let's zoom out a little bit. What will become of a society where already six in ten adults believe that we are not tethered to a common underlying truth and moral fabric. Where can that path only go as a nation? Where it's just each person doing what is true for them. And so, there's an or. Or. as you sit here and worship here or online, how would you like a source for you and your family that was always true? Always. You can count on it. Or how would you like to follow a truth that by its nature is wholesome, good, it teaches the value of every single human life, 
It teaches to love and help one's neighbor. It teaches purpose, and we never have to second guess or doubt it. Or how would you like to follow a truth that is proven and objective and consistent, and if you live by it, your life will just be blessed as well as those around you. Does that sound like a much better way to live for you and those you love? I want to show you someone in the Bible. This is from someone who was one of the three closest people to Jesus on this earth. His apostle John said in chapter 1, the word which is Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is full of grace and truth. Or we could also say that in another way. That means Jesus only has grace and truth. And if Jesus only has grace and truth, that means that every single word that Jesus says is what? True. It can only be true if he is full of truth. And people immediately took notice. He was unlike any other person they had ever heard. It stood out that much. He could only speak truth. And so many people were believing in him, and they were following him with their lives. And to those who were believing in him and and following him, Jesus then said later in in chapter 8, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The key word there is abide. If you remain in, if you cling to my word, not just when it's easy or convenient, but even when my word is hard, when it's costly, when it's very unpopular, when it might bring suffering into your life, even when my word is something you might not like or agree with. If you abide in my word, you are truly My disciples, he doesn't say you will be or you might be, you are. It's a present reality now. And all of his disciples will know what? The truth. And the truth will do what? Not oppress you, not shackle you, not cramp your life and way of living His truth will set you free. Free from what? How about free from every single missed opportunity we've had in life? And I've had a lot. And how about freedom from every single poor choice and sin that we've fallen into 
because man did it feel good and right. And how about complete freedom from all of the guilt and shame that we carry from the missed opportunities and poor choices? See, even when we don't feel forgiven, even when we are tempted to think that how can God still love me for what I have done and what I have said, what can be more absolute than Jesus and his word? That you are still deeply loved by your God and that the power of his cross and resurrection has completely broken sin over you. And you are free. And when Jesus went back to his father, he didn't want to leave us on our own to still try to find and figure out his truth on our own. He loved us too much to do that. And so if Jesus is full of truth, he is only truth, and all of his words are therefore our truth, and he wanted to take from himself his own Holy Spirit and pour it out into your life, into your family, that spirit from Jesus could only be what? Spirit of truth. Would you read this with me from John 16? When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you in all truth, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. You have His very Spirit of truth guiding your every step. And that's amazing. Maybe you are here today or with us online and this truth is new to you. If it is, praise God. We're so glad that you are here and I would encourage you now, even sometime today at the latest, to just go to God and ask Him to show you the truth of Jesus and His words. Because he wants nothing more than to come into your life and set you free. Amen. Here are a couple questions to have some conversation with now with your family, friends, those you might be worshiping with here or maybe on a couch. First question is, where has Jesus been revealing his truth to you lately? And then secondly, how can you continue to make more space in your life for his spirit of truth to continue to grow you in his truth? Go ahead and take a few moments uh, for that right now, uh, and then we'll come back and answer a couple questions that have, might come in uh, from the message.
Paxton shirt you have? I am, yeah. So the, um, I've got a great one. 